Good evening, everybody. How are you guys doing tonight? Doing okay? All right, good. Well, it is a pleasure to be with you here tonight. My name is Kevin Siddle. I'm the Director of Adult Discipleship here at Christ Church, and it's so good to be with you. To all of our friends joining us online, we love having you with us wherever you're at in the country and across the world. It's a pleasure to be speaking to you guys as well tonight. As some of you guys know, uh, I am in school for my master's in biblical studies in seminary at Asbury Theological Seminary. (laughs) Boy, I need that right now. I'm in the middle of a horrible semester. It's absolutely ripping me apart. So thank you for the encouragement. I need it. Um, My decision to go back to school was not an easy one. Um, It was not an easy one at all mostly because I would say that I never really enjoyed school, um, pretty much in any possible conceivable way. Uh, I wasn't like the worst student in the world or anything like that, but I wasn't really the best student either. Uh, I would just say it was never my priority. Uh, You know what I mean? I never actually tried. I never made it my intention to be a good student or anything like that. I was definitely more like a C's that get degrees kind of person. That was kind of my my mentality. Thank you, Val. I appreciate that. You know, like, hey, there's a time and a place. So the decision to go back to school to get my master's degree and all of that stuff was one that was not easy for me, and I struggled with it quite a bit because of my past. And I'll give you a little bit of example of what I'm talking about here. In my final year in my undergrad program at Eastern Illinois University, um, again, I did okay and all that stuff, but it was about two years or two weeks before the end of the semester, and um, instead of studying for finals, because who does that two weeks early, uh, a friend of mine from church uh, decided to throw a big party, and he was throwing a root beer kegger. Root beer kegger, okay, just for those of you who know. And so we head over there that night, and uh, there's a whole bunch of people there. There's probably, I don't know, 100-something people there, something like that. And so I go, and I kind of say hi to the host, and I'm like, you know, hey, Shane, like, I'd kind of like to do a keg stand. And uh, not Shane Bishop, just for reference. (laughs) Wouldn't that be a trip? Oh, man. Uh, Yeah, not, not, not Reverend Shane. Another man named Shane, a friend of mine. And so we kind of joked about it, laughed about it, and I thought that was the end of it, because really, that's not going to happen. Well, uh, about three, four hours later, uh, I hear over the loudspeakers in this guy's house, because again, college student, he had loudspeakers in this house, and I hear very distinctly, Kevin said, I'll come to the back porch. I'm like, oh, no, like, that's not, that's not good. Like, that's a bad sign. So I walk out to the back porch, and sure enough, there is a full-size keg of root beer and like 30-something people standing around. And he's like, Kevin, tonight is your night. You get to do a keg stand. And I'm like, ah, man, shouldn't have opened my stupid mouth. So (laughs) for those of you who don't know because you're good Christian folk, a keg stand (laughs) is a Basically, what you've got, you got like one of those big metal kegs, and again, root beer, okay, just set the tone, and you grab the edges of the keg stand, and then you flip yourself up, and you do a headstand, and some other person shoves a spigot in your mouth, and you basically drink whatever beverage is inside of that keg for as long as you can. Root beer, thank you, exactly, thank you, Carrie. Root beer, obviously. Uh, so... Like the unwise person that I am, uh, I did 
And the short version is terrible, absolutely horrible. Um, imagine dropping a brick straight into your stomach. That's, that's kind of the equivalent. I have no idea what it would be like to do with real beer, but I just imagine it would be terrible. Well, after I collected myself um, and helped another friend or two make a poor decision in their life, um, <laughs> hey, friends matter, right? Uh, the first young lady decided to go. And trying to be a gentleman, because I knew how bad it was, I'm like, okay, well, help hoist her up. She does a handstand, all that stuff. She does, you know, makes a poor decision as well. And then kind of go off to the side, and then she and I are kind of laughing about it, talking about it, and all that stuff. And then we just started to get to know each other. We started chatting kind of as the night went on. And uh, again, because my priorities were not on school, instead of worrying about finals or any of that stuff, uh, I spent like the rest of that two weeks with her. And so we would talk and we'd go around town. And uh, the night before one of my finals, instead of being a responsible student, uh, she and I went and we basically talked all night. We went and we walked through the Eastern Campus and it was wonderful. And I got home probably, I don't know, 5, 6 a.m., something like that. And uh, I didn't remember, I didn't realize, I didn't care, I don't know which one it was, that I had a final at like 8. And so I fell asleep because, you know. And so I completely slept through my final. Well, fast forward a little bit. Uh, I got a D minus on a class that I don't remember, and I got a bride out of it. And so it worked perfectly, okay? So, yes, I agree. And she's here somewhere, you know, but uh, my lovely wife is amazing. Uh, the kind of influence I am, uh, I could care less about any of that stuff. She got her very first B ever that semester because of me. <laughs> Nailed it, right? Thank you very much. So back to school. Right? So tonight, we are going to be taking a look at discipleship. And discipleship is important. Uh, it's in the title of my job description, you know, Director of Adult Discipleship and all that stuff. And so it is something I'm passionate about. It's something I'm actually very passionate about. It's, it, it's a beautiful, amazing thing when done properly. But what I often find is a lot of people really don't understand what discipleship is. So we're going to have some audience participation here real quick. How many of you guys would say that you truly understand all of the nuances and intricacies of discipleship when we talk about it? Raise your hand. Awesome. That is epic. You guys can't see this online. I am the only one with my hand up. That's super cool. Okay. How many of you guys would say, like, eh, if you saw the answer on a test, you could probably pick out the right one? All right, good. See, I think that's a reasonable expectation. And then how many of you would say, where you just talk about discipleship, you just kind of nod and smile and hope the conversation ends. Okay, yeah, right? Thank you. Be honest. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, I'm, I'm not terribly surprised, right? Because when we talk about discipleship, it's often brought up in just Christian circles where there's not really an explanation given to what it is. It's just kind of Christianese that's thrown around all the time, and no one really gives any context, so, we're going to start by giving you a simple definition, right? And we're starting here, and this is a Greek word called methades. And yes, I'm using Greek because I'm in seminary, y'all. That's why. And so, uh, but the Greek word here is methades, and it literally means uh, learner or pupil, right? 
So in modern terms, we would more consider this like uh, maybe student or apprentice. Uh, apprentice actually is probably a better version of the definition here. The problem, though, when we start thinking about discipleship in a modern context versus what we see in the Bible is they're very, very different simply because of the cultural differences, right? So when we think of kind of student and teacher nowadays, that comes with a lot of different baggage that wouldn't happen in the biblical context and kind of uh, during Jesus' time. And to kind of bring this context back around, I want you to think about the Pharisees, what you know about the Pharisees in the Bible time, the religious leaders. They were hard-nosed, right? And they were heavily, heavily focused on those 600-plus Mosaic laws, right? That is what they were worried about. And where Jesus always got himself in trouble with them was the interpretation and the application of those laws because that was their focus more than anything. And so when we think about like teaching or even preaching today, like tonight, it it wasn't um, like dissemination of information. It wasn't just like passing along wisdom. It was was very different from that. The other big difference between the biblical context and modern context, there would have never been the general lack of respect for teachers, both culturally and by students that we have today. Like that would be completely insane uh, to biblical times. When a student or when a disciple was accepted by their would-be rabbi, they essentially gave all spiritual authority to that person. They were relying on that rabbi to teach them, to guide them, to lead them, and they kind of took their opinions out of it uh, because they were literally giving over that authority, that control. That is never happening today. You know, and especially the, the cultural context of kind of that lack of respect, no way, not at all. And it wasn't just um, from the teacher to the student. This, again, this was a big, broader cultural thing. The people respected the rabbis. This kind of explains in the Bible why we see when Jesus goes and says, follow me, no one asked a question. It's because it was this kind of this privilege to even be asked. And that's where, again, some of these differences really matter. What's truly fascinating, though, about this whole like uh, teacher-student uh, relationship is the closeness that could be developed. Again, we think of uh, education today as kind of like one-to-many, similar to this right now, and it would have been pretty different in biblical times. Uh, it would have been a little bit more closely knit, and the relationships that would have been built would have been very, very tight. Uh, partially because of what I talked about. The disciple would have had opportunities to ask serious questions. Uh, they would have had opportunities to talk about faith and love and law, about relationships, what their struggles were, all those things. And then the rabbi would then go, turn to the Old Testament, and then would provide practical guidance on how to do those or from his life or whatever. But again, what really comes down to is the rabbi wasn't just trying to present wisdom and information. It was about practical application. They were walking life with this person, and they were really keeping them accountable, and they were helping this like transparent relationship. And so it was a very, very powerful thing. And that's what I mean when I say it wasn't really more teacher-student. It was more like mentor-mentee. 
And so when we think about discipleship, this is an important aspect that's implied here in the Bible. Now, it wasn't just about the role of the teacher, though. Like, we need to recognize that. Uh, The disciple himself was often sought, or they often desired to emulate the rabbi, like, literally. How did they eat a meal? What did they say? How did they say it? What time did they sleep? How did they act in their marriage? Like, very specific things. And they would do that to literally try and emulate their teacher. And we think about Jesus, and we think about his 12 disciples. Think about how many times in the Bible we hear him say, watch what I do. You know, he gives specific examples. And then the time that they shared together, traveling for those years, and eating together, and sleeping in the same camps together, they would have had ample time to try and maximize their ability to imitate Christ. So with discipleship, right, with those, those kind of contexts in mind, the Bible starts to make a lot more sense, and a lot of history starts to make sense. This is why early Christians were called little Christs. They weren't just trying to share the good news. That was part of it. But they were literally imitating Christ in every way they could. And that's such an important detail when we talk about discipleship. It's not just about hearing, it's also acting it out. So if we are called to be disciples of Jesus Christ, right? We should be doing our best to imitate Christ and what we do. Now, we can do this in a number of ways. How do we actually imitate Christ? First, we learn from him, right? How many of you guys read your Bible? Good answer. I like hearing that, Um, (laughs) obviously. Um, Bible study is a simple way to learn how to imitate Christ. We see his words. We see how he acted, things like that. Another great way is in connect groups. How many of you guys are in connect groups? Love it. I love seeing that. Connect groups are where we actually get to learn from other people how to imitate Christ, We can be challenged, we can be held accountable, we can learn how to have transparent relationships, we can learn how to encourage one another when things are hard. These are ways that we take that vertical relationship with Christ and we send it out horizontally. If you are not in some kind of connect group, some kind of small group, I would really implore that you do that. Your ceiling is lower than it could be than if you were. You will learn so much about a relationship with Jesus Christ by helping and encouraging and living life with other people. And so if you would like to do that, please reach out. Uh, Email me anytime, kevinsittle at mychristchurch.com, or go right around the corner here in Scripture Hall by the stairwell. We have two big old TVs right there. It's touchscreen. Use that, and you can find a connect group. But it's so important to be living in Christian community, guys. We are not meant to live this life alone. There is no such thing in the Bible as a lone wolf Christian, okay? So trying to do it on your own, you are setting yourself up for failure, like straight up. There's no way around that. Get into community, whatever that looks like for you. So again, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? We're to be reflections of him. Now, depending on how much you know about Christ, that could either be amazing or terrifying, (laughs) Uh, Amazing. Raising the dead. Never done that. I'm open to it. Um, (laughs) Healing the sick. Definitely open to that. That's super cool. Uh, Being a light. Being encouraging to other people. These things are awesome. Terrifying. Crucified. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, not, not so much onto that one, you know. Jesus asks us to do hard things, though. He challenges us. He pushes us. And tonight, we're going to be taking a look at some of those things that push us and challenge us when we talk about being a disciple, a student of Jesus Christ. So without further ado, let's take a look at our scripture tonight. This is going to be Luke uh, 15, or 14, excuse me. We're going to be verses 25 through 27. So if you got your Bible, you can open that up. Uh, for some context, right, uh, the Jesus tour is, is in full swing, right? Uh, things are hot. Things are going really well for him. He's got a huge gathering of people. He hasn't fully butted up against the religious establishment quite yet. That's going to be coming. Uh, he's been transfigured. He's had the Sermon on the Mount, all these things. So Jesus is kind of like hitting his peak here. And it's a really good time, except the tone is shifting. And if you really start to look at the scripture, you can feel this change a little bit. He's also starting to talk about his death, and he's talking about his suffering. And it's kind of like if a storm cloud was coming. You don't feel it yet, but you know it's there. And what's interesting about this is no one else seems to recognize it. Not the disciples, not the crowds, nobody. They are still caught up in all the pomp and the circumstance and the excitement and all that stuff. Jesus is doing amazing things, and there's miracles and all that. And they're missing out on some of the, the more challenging, more serious details. They're looking at revolution, man. They're not looking at crucifixion. And unfortunately with Jesus, there's more going on here than what it appears. Verse 25. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. So again, Jesus is at the peak of his ministry. Things are going really well. People from all over Judea are coming around to see him. They're looking for Jesus the prophet and Jesus the teacher and Jesus the miracle worker, right? They are excited. He's kind of the hottest thing around and life is good. Jesus has got fans, right? He's got some fans with him. Uh, years ago, uh, when St. Louis had a football team, um, still a little bit hurt about that, but not the Cardinals, the Rams, um, I went to a Rams game, and uh, I don't remember a whole lot about the game because this was a period of time when the Rams were absolutely awful. Um, yeah, that was cool. Uh, but anyway, was at the game, and it was a Rams-Saints game. And I remember this, not because of the game, because, again, we got blown out, and that was whatever. But uh, I remember the guy that I sat next to. Uh, he was a super fan. Like, have you guys ever met a super fan? Like a real one? Yeah, they're like, they're different. <laughs> like, they're, they're different. They're different people. And I remember this guy mostly because I walk up and uh, we get to talking, and, and I'll explain why in a second because I had all kinds of questions. But he drove up from New Orleans to St. Louis to be there for the Rams game. And he was dressed in uh, like a Gene Simmons like kiss outfit. <laughs> But in black and gold because he was a Saints fan. Clever, right? And then what wasn't covered by the, the Kiss outfit, everything else was gold body paint. Like, everything else. And so, you know, you sit down next to a guy like that, and you're like, huh. Okay, anyway. So we tar start talking. I, I have questions and whatnot. And unfortunately, what I figured out right away is this guy really had no knowledge of football at all. 
Like none. I mean, he couldn't really tell you the first thing about the game or anything like that. He couldn't tell you why the Rams were uh, bad and the Saints were good. That's it. He, he was just a super fan, and he was so excited to be there, and he was so excited for his team, and it was just perfect and rainbows and butterflies and all that stuff. He had no clue what was happening. It was interesting to be around him. I think if we're really honest, I think that there were probably super fans in the crowd with Jesus that day. When there were that many people gathered, not all of them were probably serious disciples. And if you go further on into the text, I think we know that many of them were not serious disciples. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ requires more than just passion, guys. It does require commitment, a serious commitment. <laughs> and the tough thing here about Jesus, too, is he is going to test our level of commitment by his teachings, that is how he is going to test us. Jesus doesn't ask us to do what's easy or what's comfortable or certainly not how to follow our heart or any of that stuff. That is not there. Instead, Jesus is going to set the bar high, like sometimes impossibly high or seemingly impossibly high. Verse 26, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. What do you make of that, y'all? That's the Jesus we're supposed to imitate, right? What do you do with that? It's not so clear-cut suddenly. It's not so easy. It's not so digestible. You know, and it's a difficult thing to deal with. So what do we do when we come up to a verse like this? Well, first, this is the exact kind of verse that I would tell you why we should be a disciple, a student of Christ. Because we can take a look at the verse and we can start asking ourselves questions and we can start thinking about things that we know from the Bible, right? Does Jesus hate the nuclear family? No, that's ridiculous. Does Jesus tell us to hate ourselves or to degrade ourselves or anything like that? No, of course not. Does he ever do that for himself? No, of course not. So we have to take an understanding of a scripture like this and go, okay, what don't I know? There's something here that doesn't add up, and I'm probably missing something. Instead of doing what some people do is they read this and go, well, obviously Jesus wants me to just hate everybody. Give me a break. Like, come on. Like, stop it. When we come up to a verse like this, guys, and you will, like straight up, you will. If you become a student of Christ and if you start reading the Bible, you will come up verses like this that are difficult. When you do that, hit the pause button. <laughs> Slow down for a second. Reach out to somebody here at the church. Ask a pastor a question. You can email me on staff. Ask a friend. Ask your connect group leader. Read a commentary. Do something. When you come across difficult passages, they should prompt you to search it out further, not just accept it on the surface and hope for the best. That is a bad, bad way. Now, to the explanation to this, because there is an explanation. The phrase to hate is a Semitic term, and it actually means to turn away from or to distance yourself. So I like to think of this kind of in the way that we think about repentance, 
when we repent, we turn away and we distance ourselves from sin, right? That is kind of the, the meaning here. But again, we have to go further. We have to take it even deeper into this. What Jesus is really getting at here is that if we are going to be disciples of Christ, if we are going to be a serious disciple, he must take precedence over these people in our lives. Jesus must be the priority over, yes, our spouse, over our father and our mother, yes, even our children and even our own desires. Jesus needs to be the the prime focus of our life. Is that difficult? Yes. (laughs) Absolutely it is. Are you willing to break relationships to be a disciple of Christ? Some of you already have. And yeah, it's tough. And you know what? These are the kinds of things that we as a church pray for because it is tough. We know the difficulty of a scripture like this. Are you willing? It's a good question. But is it worth it? Yeah, we'll get to that in a bit. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ requires faith, guys. It requires incredible faith. Because here's the thing. Jesus is not just a great moral teacher. There are a lot of people who try to make Jesus just out to like, oh, he was just a really good person and he taught really good things. No, he is Lord. He is God. He is part of the creation. He is everything. He is everything that we need. If we are going to be disciples of Christ, we are going to have to have faith. Faith is going to be an absolutely critical part because otherwise, how in the world would you be able to handle the difficulty of breaking a relationship with people you love? Faith matters so much. Faith is going to be what sustains you when you do something difficult for the Lord that otherwise makes no sense. Faith is what helps to bring us purpose through the tough times. Because again, the scriptures and his teachings don't get any easier. Verse 33, so you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. (laughs) It just doesn't get easier. What are you willing to give up for Christ? What are you willing to give up to become a disciple, to become a student, to become an apprentice of Jesus Christ? I think that's a very good question. In other parts of the world, that's a very real question. There are people who are martyred for their faith, and they are asked, are you willing to give up your life to say that Jesus is Lord? We don't face that here. Thankful for that. But what are you willing to give up? A few years back, I had uh, the opportunity to read an excellent book. It's uh, kind of fantastic. And, And in the book, there's a section where he talks about this idea of what you actually have to give up. And I'd just like to read this to you here. He says, As I fought the tears, I began to give the things I held most dearly over to God. I released to God my wife, the kids, the pastorate, and finally my life. As this occurred, my mind's eye could see Jesus sitting in a big rocking chair, and I ran over and I crawled into his lap. Jesus, I'm not a good father. He replied, I know. I'm not a good husband. He said, I know. I said, I'm not a good pastor. He said, I know. 
At that moment, I realized that though Jesus knew all my failures, he loved me anyway. This quote's from a book titled Road to Ground Zero, uh, Finding God's Will, and it's written by our very own Fred Bishop. Uh, If you know Fred, then you also know that he is a great example of what it means to give up for Christ. Being a disciple of Jesus requires surrender. Notice that verse 33 didn't say, so you cannot become my disciple until I take everything from you. It's not how it works, guys. We want to, in those really difficult moments, we want Jesus to just rip our sin from us, don't we? We want him to take away our addiction, our pain, our frustration, our trauma. We cry out for those things, but that's not how it works. It says that we have to give those things up. We have to surrender them. And surrender is a difficult thing. Surrender is terrible. Uh, Ladies, I don't know how this works for you, but for guys, surrender is a gut-wrenching nightmare. Uh, Because surrender for most men or a lot of men kind of is equated to failure. Like we gave up. We're not good enough. We can't meet the need. We're not strong enough. We can't handle it. So surrender can be this like real double-edged sword for men because we're kind of taught to have everything in control, to keep everything steady, always moving up to the right. And when we, when we are told to surrender, it goes against every fabric of our core. And it's just really, really, really difficult. But surrender is not a bad word. Surrender in this, uh, this Christian discipleship kind of context, it's strength. It takes so much courage and strength to surrender to God. And it's good, too. For those of you who have actually given something up, who have truly surrendered, you know what I'm talking about. There's, there's a burden that's removed. There's an easiness that comes once you've released those things, and it's just incredible. If you haven't experienced that, I hope you do sometime. So a number of years ago... Um, I kind of had a, a pivotal moment of surrender. It was, uh, it was tough, man. Um, I wasn't in ministry at the time. I wasn't uh, working here at Christ Church and all that. And things were just chaotic, like real chaotic in my life. It was just kind of a mess all up and down and everywhere. And then on top of that, for the very first time, uh, I faced anxiety, like real anxiety, crippling anxiety. And again, for those of you who know, you know how bad that can be. Like, it is just a mess, Uh, My head was just filled with lies and fear and all kinds of stuff. And there was just this like sense of dread, you know, that was just all over all the time. And it was tearing me up. Well, I kind of, I just hit a point where I just couldn't take it anymore. Um, I just kind of dropped down and I got into serious prayer. Uh, I don't know if you guys know what I mean by serious prayer. What, What I don't mean is like, oh God please take this from me. <laughs> That's not what I'm talking about. No, serious prayer, more like DEFCON 5, like I'm, I'm kind of screaming out to the Lord, like, and I mean it, like I'm yelling out all my frustrations, I'm yelling out all my fears, I'm yelling out all my lies, I'm yelling out all my worries, and it just kind of all came out in this really difficult moment. And it was the most incredible thing, because I was like full-blown panic attack, full-blown like screaming all this out to God, and then just like that, boom, it stopped. Like, it's hard to explain. Like, it was kind of like being in a hurricane and then you're just suddenly on a silent beach. Like, it was absolutely incredible. 
And in that moment, God kind of spoke to me. And yes, I believe that God speaks to people. No, I don't believe it happens every day, okay, for the record. But in that moment, God spoke to me and he just said, be calm, love me, and pursue me. And that, I mean, that changed everything. It, it truly changed everything. My kind of path in discipleship after that has been totally different since that point. My head wasn't filled with lies anymore. Like I started to see truths, the real truths of the scripture and of gospel, and, and I wasn't uh, living in this fear of what would happen if I actually surrendered to Christ. You know, that, that fear of like, well, if I become a disciple of Christ, then I have to give up whatever, all those lies, right? There was this like deep faith that suddenly started to grow and to flourish. This piece of me that knowing like God was really there with me. Like he, he was actually there with me. He was actually there supporting me. And there was a relationship that was building. Kind of like that mentor-mentee. You know, this discipleship relationship it started. There was a commitment, too. I kind of really fully committed myself to God after that because he, he kind of committed to me. He came to me in a really tough moment, in a really painful time, and, and it showed me that not only is he safe, he's good, that that commitment will pay off, and that is such a blessing. And then there's this desire to emulate Christ. <laughs> I haven't been this person to anybody yet that I know of, but what would it be like to bring that kind of peace to somebody else? Like, can you imagine that? I mean, seriously, guys. Like, for the people you love, the people you care about, if they were having a full-blown panic attack, where if you could help them find peace in that moment, I would give up so much for that, you know? And to be that that peace, that, that reflection, that imitation of Christ in the world, that, that's a desire now. There's this desire to learn from Christ, to be a student. I want to know what, what it was that made him tick. I want to know what he said. I want to I know the, the details, the pieces, and, and be a good student for once. <laughs> I've been a pretty bad student most of my life. I'm trying to change that. There's this change, right? When we become serious disciples of Christ, it's, everything's different. So I don't, I don't know where you're at in life. Um, we're going to open up the altar here in a little bit for a final song. I don't know if you've been a disciple your whole life, you know, and a serious disciple your whole life. And... Maybe you just need to kind of reaffirm that. You need to put the stamp and say, yep, I'm in. I don't know if you have been a fan your whole life, and you've just been kind of coming to church and doing the church thing, but you've never really committed yourself to Christ. You've never really committed yourself to being that true disciple. I would implore you, come to the altar. Make that decision. Make that commitment. It's so worth it. And then finally, I don't know if you're facing some stuff, if you're carrying some burdens, if you're in a tough spot, life's hard, um, give it to God. You know, there, there's power in, in being here, in being in this holy place. There's power in being here in community. 
to have people to pray for you, over you, even from a distance. There's a lot of power for that. Come to the altar and give it to God. Don't carry that stuff with you. You're not meant to. My hope for you is that if you're not a serious disciple, that minimally you'll consider it. If you are a serious disciple, then I'm excited to, to work alongside you. And I think that's such a blessing. And if you're struggling with something, then I'll be praying for you. Truly, and I mean that. If you need prayer, if you would like specific prayer, reach out. But we would love to pray for you and help you with that. So let's wrap up before we come to this altar that God creates. We don't create it. This is just stairs and stuff. That God creates as an altar to worship him. Before we do that, let's slow down. Let's get in some prayer. Let's worship. Heavenly Father, you are good. Lord, and we are so grateful that you call us to be serious disciples. That you ask us to put aside our own desires. That you ask us to even put aside the people we love because, frankly, you are worthy of that. We don't even understand all the time what that means. We, don't, we, we can't hardly even appreciate it. But Lord, we are so grateful, so thankful that you are a safe place, that you are holy and true and can be glorified even in the toughest moments of our lives. And so Lord, I pray tonight that this church would be filled with serious disciples that they would leave and they would become serious disciples in our community and that they would go and therefore and make more disciples. And Lord, that this fire could just spread and do a mighty thing. So Lord, we love you. We praise you. We ask all of this in the strong and powerful name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. The altar's open, y'all.